who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away." And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Matthew twenty-five, fourteen through 30. Good morning, everyone. It's good for us to be together. I know that you carved a load this morning, so that doesn't give you permission to sleep, okay? So, but it was great to have a great breakfast together. Um, this morning, uh, Sarah read the parable of the talents, which I'm sure is very famil- familiar to many, many people. If you haven't heard it before, it's uh, really a parable that Jesus had given to show that we can either seize upon or we can neglect the responsibility that God has given us to be faithful to him. In this parable, Jesus is the one that is going to go away. He's the master that's going to go away and is going to come back and to give an account someday to his servants. And his servants have been given one one talent or two talents or five talents. And that represents the responsibility that he gives to them. And you'll notice from that parable that Jesus is going to give an, have us give an account of how we have been faithful with that. He's, uh, he demands a return on his investment, right? So he's given an investment. He's given it to us. And he wants to see the uh, return on the investment. Now, the sad part of the story is there is a counterfeit who has that talent and this, uh, his mask is taken off and it's revealed for who he is because he does nothing with it. And in the end, tragically, he's thrown into the outer darkness. And so this is an illustration that's given to us 
to talk about how we need to use our kingdom resources for the glory of God and the expectation that God has for us. And as I read that this week and meditated on, meditated on it, I thought, how can we bring that home to mission view? How is it that we can... I'm always looking for creative illustrations. And so when you came in, you received an envelope that said, do not open until instructed to do so. And I just want you to hold on to that. If you did not get one, you could possibly get one if there's envelopes left on your way out. Now, what this is, what you're going to find is you're going to find your own talents. Go ahead and open your envelope at this time. Now, what you're going to find in that envelope is either one talent, two talents, or five talents. Now, some of you are saying, man, I've never been paid to go to church. That's awesome. Well, hold on. Now, you never know what you're going to... Next week, it might be gold coins. Who knows? Now, here's the project. It's for the month of October. I'm calling it the Talent Project. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to, first of all, first of all, if you only got one talent, don't think you got ripped off. It was totally random, okay? If you got two talents or five, you, if you got a fiver, that's great, okay? But that's more responsibility for you. And this is what I want you to do. A, I want you to see it as seed money. This is seed money. And as a, just as a seed is very tiny, so is the amount in your envelope. But we're going to make it grow. Number two, you have the ability to match it or you can add whatever you want to make it grow. You can do that. And what, here's the thing we want you to do. I want you to invest that money in the month of October in some way that it'll have a kingdom impact. So you make it grow and you, in the month of October, you have some kind of investment that will make a kingdom impact. For example, you might say, you know what, I want to take a coworker to lunch and be able to hear their story and for them to be able to hear my story. That's an investment into somebody that could have a, a profound kingdom impact. You might have a, a single mom or a widow or somebody in your neighborhood that you want to go bless in the name of Jesus Christ. You might have a favorite mission project. We're doing a Guatemala project right now where we're building a whole village and, or we're coming alongside of a village. We're putting in a well. We're going to be putting in an edu I believe it's an education center or a church that will double for many different things. You might say, well, I want to be a part of that. You could give it back as an investment where the gospel will be heard. There's a senior high retreat the first weekend in November. There might be a student in your neighborhood that you would want to sponsor to go to that retreat so they can hear the gospel. So the goal is this. The goal is that you would have fruit from this investment. That there would be something tangible. Maybe it would be because you've had a spiritual conversation with somebody. Or you were able to bless somebody in the name of Jesus. Or somebody was able to hear the gospel because of this investment. Now here's what you can't do. You can't go bury it because you know the end of the story. It's not good. So don't bury the talent. Take it and use this as a family project or a couple project and pray over it and see what God would do that's special. Now you will find this banner that's on our website 
we want you to, in the month of October, if you have a story that comes out of the talent project, we want you to click on the banner and just write briefly what your story is, and we'll uh, probably share that with others to be an encouragement to the body of Christ. So I want you to just keep that in mind in terms of kingdom impact. Now, obviously, the message today is all about making a kingdom impact and using the resources that God has given us. This is not a message on tithing. This is a message on us being all in, in terms of our resources, in terms of our times, in, in time, in terms of what we do with everything we have and every opportunity, that we would be the kind of Christ follower that would be all in. Because as, we, as Jesse elaborated earlier, Jesus certainly demonstrated all in to us. And so today we're going to be talking about that. Now I want to define a few terms. We're talking about stewardship to have a kingdom impact. The word stewardship really means that you are the caregiver of. You're not the owner of, you are the caregiver of. And in the idea of Christ, he has blessed us in such a way that he wants us to be a blessing to others. God blesses so that we will be a blessing. But he gives us his resources, and when we get them into our possession, sometimes our mistake is to think they're ours. They're not. They're God's resources, and so we are a steward of them. Now, when we talk about having a kingdom impact, it's really contributing to the work that Jesus began. When he began his ministry, it's interesting, Jesus often said, the kingdom of God is near. In fact, in Mark 1.15, he says, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus was ushering in a kingdom. What kind of kingdom? It's a kingdom where he would be the king and those that would become a part of that kingdom would be people that repented and believed and they would understand their need for a savior. You and I are a part of that kingdom, but we're also a part of the kingdom work. When does it end? When Jesus comes and takes the church home with him? That's when it ends. So right now, that's our responsibility. So we're going to talk about using our re the resources God's given us to have a kingdom impact. Let's review, though, in terms of where we've been. We're talking about core leadership principles of what we need to have in our life. And in week one, we talked about humility. It starts with servant leadership. That's what we need to be. Now, uh, week two, we talked about the gaining of credibility or trust by being a blessing to our Babylon. Whatever circumstances we are in is our Babylon, and we become a blessing in that Babylon. And then th the third week, last week, we talked about communication, using our words to match our faith and our actions, that our words would be used in such a way to help others understand who Christ is. And today we'll talk about stewarding our resources. Now, since last week we talked about communication, I want you guys to help me out with something. I, I saw something a little confusing this week, and I thought you might be able to give me a little bit of aid. See, I was going to meet Scott Mickley for breakfast, and on my way I got kind of in a traffic jam, and I, I noticed the car in front of me. He kind of, this, it caught my eye. And this is what I saw. Back off, and then you got the Jesus sticker. 
Now, I wasn't certain if it was a combination message like, Jesus, back off. I, then I thought, no, it couldn't be that. Then I got it. He's saying, back off about the tail of my car, but don't back off from Jesus. So do you think that's it? It has nothing to do with our message. I just thought it was cute. So let's get into the Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And we're going to be looking at the first few verses here. Now, just to set up this passage, you need to know that Jesus loved to teach in parables. Parables were stories. They were illustrations that brought to light a spiritual truth. And Jesus would teach us all throughout the Gospels. Now, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we see him constantly teaching in these parables. Now, often when he taught, there was a mixed audience. There were, on one hand, the people that were called disciples. In other words, followers of Jesus. There were those individuals that wanted to hear Jesus. They were listening to Jesus because they wanted to know more about God. They wanted to know more about spiritual truths. But also in that group, there were those that were considered religious leaders. They were there for a very different reason. They weren't so interested to learn more about God because they knew everything you needed to know about God. They wanted to catch and trap Jesus in his words. It would be kind of like the media and the president now. Anything he says, the media is going to want to pounce on that. And that's exactly the way the Pharisees were with Jesus. I am certainly not relating Jesus with our president. I just want you to know that. But this is, this is what they were trying to do. That's the situation that we have today in our parable. We have both people in attendance. And so Jesus is going to give this parable. And I believe he addresses this parable to the both audiences. To the disciples, he wants them to realize, as you, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to come after me with all of your heart, then you need to be all in. There's no question about that. You need to be completely 100% in, in terms of working in this kingdom job. Nothing is yours. All is God's. But you use whatever you have for him. But I believe his message to the Pharisees, the religious leaders is, there's greed on your heart. And because of that, you are displeasing to God. And so we will see that message by the end. So let's, what we're going to do is we're going to read the parable. We're going to try to gain understanding from it. Jesus will give us four lessons uh, from that parable, and then we'll make applications to ourselves, and then we will go home. So let's, uh, let's pray that God would use his word in our hearts. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we look at your word, that it would be a mirror to our hearts. I pray that we wouldn't just go through a system of just going to church and just listening to a, a speech and then going away and not allowing your word to affect our lives. I pray, Father, that your word would have a profound effect on us, that you would help us to be more kingdom-minded. There are some here that, that this is a new concept. Lord, teach encourage, and motivate. And I pray that you would use your word in a profound way. In Christ's name, amen. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 7. I call this a good example 
from a wicked man. He also said to the disciples, this is Jesus speaking. He says, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the accounts of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have, de I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their house. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, a hundred measures of oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. Now, in this parable, what I want you to first understand is that there are no good people in this parable. Sometimes we attach a value and we think, oh, the master is God and the manager is this person. Well, in this situation, you can't really do that. Now, in the parable previous to this, if you look at the very end of Luke 15, you'll find the parable of the prodigal son. You remember that? The, the son blesses the son, or the father blesses the sons and the one son goes and abuses all those blessings. Well, the father is the God our Father, and the Son is any one of us that rebel against God and go our own way. So you can attach a value there, but not as much here. Every person is worldly. It's also helpful for us to understand that wealthy owners at, uh, at that time often had property and people rented from them. And so because people rented extensions of his property, he had to have a manager. Now, the managers were often slaves. They were individuals that had no rights of their own, but yet they had this responsibility to care for the, to care for the master's properties. If you ever saw Shawshank Redemption, you remember Andy who took care of the warden. He was like the slave who took care of the warden's uh, uh, financial affairs. If you've never seen the movie, then just disregard what I just said. Or you can go watch it. So what we have here is this slave that's in charge, this manager that's in charge of his master's properties, but the the notice came to the master that, hey, he is wasting your possessions. Now, I think initially the master saw this as just incompetence on the part of the, the slave or the manager. But later on, he would say, no, he would realize it was much deeper than incompetence. He's actually pretty smart as an individual. And he was embezzling from his master. Now, there is a thin line that attaches the previous parable to this in that there was the prodigal son. And what did the prodigal son go and do? He wasted what? 
all of, his, all of his father's belongings. And just as he wasted everything, there's this manager that's wasting the possessions. But here's the difference. This manager was wise enough to say, I don't want to be friendless in the end, and I want to be taken care of. So he, in a conniving way, made sure that that happened. So when the master learns uh, of the manager's apparent incompetence, he makes it known that he is going to fire him. And so what does the, uh, the, ma the manager do? The manager goes and collects the debtors and say, okay, you've been renting property, you've been renting from my master, and rent at that time was not money, it was what you raised on your land. And so I want you to tell me how much your debt, how much your debt is. Well, I owe a hundred measures of oil. I owe a hundred measures of wheat. So the one owing a hundred measures of oil, he slashes it in half. And the other one, he gives a 20% discount and he says, take 200 off, uh, to take, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, 20 measures off of, off your bill. Now, I've read some commentators that says that the 100 measures of oil would have been equivalent to 800 gallons of olive oil. So he cut that in half. And the 100 measures of wheat would have been 100 bushels of wheat that was reduced to 800 bushels. Now, what did this deal do for him? What did this deal do for the manager? It did two things. First of all, the debtors were grateful to him and they owed him one. Remember, he said... May, may people receive me into their home. He didn't want to dig ditches. He didn't want to beg. He wanted somebody to accept them into his home. The second thing that it did is it allowed other people to, he kind of gave them blackmail material because they were now complicit in the crime that he was committing. Now, most masters, when they find out the whole story, they probably would be furious. But in this particular case, the master says, and we'll see this in verse 8, he actually commends the wicked guy for his craftiness. He still fires him, but he commends him for the evil that he did in the smart way that he did it. Now, when I first read this, I thought, is Jesus, is Jesus like, promoting dishonesty? Is he coming along and saying, yeah, this is a good thing? As you read on, you see the applications that he gives and you realize this is profound because what he was teaching his, his disciples, under, helping them understand what the kingdom of God is all about. So let's move through the lessons that Jesus was teaching. Here's the first lesson. If you're taking notes, uh, simply write down that the believers should be shrewd with their kingdom resources. That's what he was teaching. The believers should be shrewd with their kingdom resources. Look at verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Then he says, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their generation than the sons of light. See, in this first lesson, Jesus wasn't uh, commending dishonesty, but rather he was teaching his disciples that the disciples should use their material things for spiritual benefits. 
that the believers should show just as much eagerness and ingenuity in attempting to attain good as the men of the world were wanting to use money and uh, to attain their outcomes. Jesus wants his disciples to pay attention to spiritual things just as much, if not more, than what the world does to material things and their goals and objectives. See, Jesus, it tells us a little insight to Christ. He has a window into our heart. And he knows that our tendency will be to spend our time, our money, our resources on us, on our hobbies, on our pleasures, on our things that we want to accumulate around us. He knows that we're going to have a tendency to put it into those things more so than in the church and in the kingdom work. And so the first question and application that we come to is this. Are we using our resources with a kingdom first urgency? Are we using what God has given us with a kingdom first urgency? Now there's ways in which we can tell that. You can simply evaluate things in your life and you can tell. And I'll talk about some of those things in a minute. Here's the second lesson that Jesus was teaching. He says, we're going to see it in verse 9, but this is the principle. Believers should use God's resources to accrue friends for eternity. Believers should use God's resources to accrue friends for eternity. This is what he says in verse 9. He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwelling. At first glance, it seems maybe a little cryptic as you're looking at that. But Jesus is making a point here. See, the unjust manager, he used the master's money to establish security of friendship for himself. It was all for himself. And what Jesus is doing is he's flipping it and saying, we are to use this worldly resource of money and use it for God's glory and do it so it has a kingdom impact on other people. Let me illustrate. Remember last week we had our missionary Jen Shrail here. And she told the story of how she went into this village and she was asked to pray for a grandfather to be healed. He was a patriarch, patriarch of that village. And so she and another missionary went in and they prayed for him, but they also shared the gospel to him. Now, God did a healing in the sense that he took him home after he had received Christ. And so he had received Christ, and then also what we understand is other people in the village, including the, the, that old man's son, had given his life to Christ and other people in the family as well. Now, he didn't heal the old man, but from our passage, it says that he is secured in eternal dwelling. And so we know that he is with Christ. So here's my question for you. Is there any better of an investment of the monies that you put into the offering plate each and every week 
Is there any better investment than for us to be able to support Jen Trail so that she can continue to do that kind of kingdom work? Do you realize that these are the kind of things that make a kingdom impact? About 12% of everything that we give in this ministry goes for those kind of impacts. We, we see our missionaries as hired staff, as an extension of mission view. And we expect, just as with our staff, to be making a kingdom impact. We want that for them as well. And that's what we should be doing. And that's the point that Jesus is making. We should use our resources, whatever they are, to make an impact on lives, relationships, relationships that matter. You know, when somebody walks into the doors of our church, we never know where people are emotionally or physically or spiritually. But what we do know is that there's a lot of needs that happen within our world. And it's very probable that there's going to be people that come in and they're looking for someone first to love them. Yes, they might be looking for doctrinal accuracy. Yes, they may be looking for those things. But first and foremost, I think what people are looking for is love. They just want to be loved. And so in using our resources, we are to have a kingdom impact that lasts for the future. And we are to have a kingdom impact that lasts right now. So here's the question. How are we stewarding God's resources to make eternal friends? How about your coworker? How about your neighbor? How about the people that are within your core, your circle of responsibility? Are you making an investment into their life? Here's the third principle that Jesus makes here. And I'll give you the principle, then we'll read the passage. It's lesson number three. Believers should be faithful with God's resources so that they will be entrusted with greater things. Take a look at verse 10. Jesus says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful, get this, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, the money that you've been given, who will entrust you to be with his true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which would be your own? See, this truth is in contrast to this unfaithful manager, this slave. For Christ's followers, the test is what we do with the things that he has given us in this life. See, this will be the proof of, proof of our fitness or unfitness to be entrusted with more in eternity. I was reading this uh, theologian this week. His name is William Barclay. And this is what he says. He makes an observation on this verse. He says, Upon earth you are in charge of things which are really not yours. You cannot take them with you when you die. You are only, they are only lent to you. You are only a steward over them. They cannot, in the nature of things, be permanently yours. 
Then he says, on the other hand, in heaven, you will get what is really and eternally yours. And what you get in heaven depends on how you use the things of earth. What you will be given as your very own depends on how you use the things of which you are only a steward. That car you have, it was given to you by God. How are you stewarding it for him? That house you have, it was given to you by God. How are you stewarding? How are you stewarding your resources? The question is this. Can God trust me with greater responsibilities and resources? Can God trust you? Can God trust me with greater responsible with greater resources here's the last lesson he teaches believers should be single-minded versus double-minded they should be single-minded with God's resources look at verse 13 he says no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you cannot serve God and money. Now the problem with the servant in this parable is that he tried to run what I would call a side hustle. When you got a side job, you call it a side hustle nowadays. If you're an Uber driver, it's your side hustle. And so people are wanting to have a side hustle. And this guy wanted to have a side hustle. But there was one problem. He was a slave. And as a slave, he didn't have any ownership of any of his property. He didn't own it, and therefore he didn't own it. He can't just do what he wants with his master's property because it's his master's property. You can't run a side hustle with, God's, with, with the master's stuff. In like point, I think what Jesus is making clear to us is that we as followers, we're slaves of Christ. How many times does Paul introduce himself as a slave of Christ, as a, a bondservant of Christ? We are bondservants of Christ. We are slaves of Christ. That passage we read earlier, that we've been bought with the price. We are slaves of Christ. We should not be divided in our time that God has given us. We should not be divided in the resources that God has given us. There is no side hustle with God. Once a man or woman has given themselves completely to God, all their time, all their talents, all their treasures belong to God. And he is the master. And here's what I want you to know about God. God is the most exclusive master. He is the most loving master. He is the most caring master. And he is the most uh, uh, abundant and blessing master that you could ever have. He loves to bless. I believe that with all my heart. I believe God loves to bless obedience. Even in the parable of the town. What happened when somebody was faithful? He blessed them with more. The person that was faithful with just two talents and got more. He blessed them with more. Gave them more responsibility. God loves to bless. 
But we got to remember, he is our exclusive master. That's what that passage was about. Remember, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Here's the question. Do we truly believe everything we have and everything that we are is God's? If so, it will reflect in our checkbooks. If so, it will reflect in the tithing that God commands. In the giving. He says, be hilarious givers. I'm a hilarious giver, God speaking. And I want you to be a hilarious giver. It will reflect in that. It will reflect in how we use our time. And here's my fear. My fear is that not everybody believes this, that everything is God's. Because if we did, then it would truly change our approach in this life and it would, it would affect us in a radical way. We wouldn't be thinking, how little can I give God? We would be thinking, what more can I give to God? How can I better steward my time and my job to give to God and to make a kingdom impact? It would constantly be on our minds. This is what he expects of us. This is what Jesus was teaching his disciples. So he concludes by addressing the Pharisees. And he's going to make an interesting contrast between the Pharisees and John the Baptist. Listen in verse 14. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And Jesus said to them, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your heart. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is forcing their way into it. What's Jesus saying? First of all, he is pointing out that these Pharisees were self-centered in their rationalization. Self-centered in their rationalization. And in, if that wasn't enough, he then says directly to them that you are an abomination in the sight of God. Talk about poking the bear. These religious leaders hearing this, they had to have been furious. And then he uses a positive example of John the Baptist. Can you, um, do you know who the Pharisees hated just as much as they hated Jesus? John the Baptist. And now he's exalting John the Baptist as an example. He says John the Baptist is the hinge point of redemptive history. He's the hinge point. He introduced the Christ. Before, all you had was the law and the prophets. In other words, there was just shadows and hints of this Messiah. But now John the Baptist is clearly proclaiming that there's one coming that I am unworthy to untie his sandals. And he will baptize you with fire. And his name is Jesus Christ. 
and he was pointing to Christ. And now that this kingdom work was started, guess what? All these sinners, all the people that the Pharisees hated were rushing to the kingdom. They're trying to bulldoze down the doors. And I think what he's saying here is that there is such an eagerness and need at this time that they are being responsive to that message. And so what we have in the end is a contrast between Pharisees and John the Baptist. The Pharisees said, mine, 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 mine. And John the Baptist, who wore camel skin, he must have been on a very low budget because he ate locusts. And he said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So who are we more like? The self-centered Pharisees or John the Baptist who says, Jesus, there's Jesus, there's Jesus. I just want to point you, friend, I just want to point right there, Jesus. How are you going to make a kingdom impact? Recently, uh, I sat down with a friend a bald-headed friend, who's a big bald-headed friend. He's a little older than me. I will use no names. And I was uh, kind of frustrated and lamenting the fact that I felt like, due to my physical circumstances, that I felt like uh, I'm not able to do as much as I once did. And this friendly bald-headed teddy bear looked at me and said, Steve, do you realize that in your 50s, you begin to slow down? I have no physical affliction and I am slowing down. I don't do the things I used to do when I was a young man. I think you're looking at this wrong. I think what you need to do is you need to see that this is an opportunity for the body of Christ to shoulder the burden of ministry on a greater level. This truth punched me in the face. It's like, okay, yeah, you're right. This is true. I sat down with the staff this last week. I said, okay, what can we do to have the body shoulder the ministry? And here's a couple of the ideas of ways that we can have a kingdom impact collectively. Number one, inside the church, invite attenders into your home. That's something that Lee and I have always loved to do. We fill our calendar with new people, but we haven't been able to do it as much. But wouldn't it be awesome if just spontaneously and organically as, as we get to know each other that you would invite maybe someone newer into your home and be able to share with them. Invite somebody into your home and you take the initiative of being that welcoming church. Number two, no names. I know this is very difficult. Memorize names. Now we have a directory and you can use it to look up people's phone numbers, but you could also use it to pray through it and memorize names. That's what I do. And I try to do that on a weekly basis so that I am remem remembering names of individuals. And I know I do a, a weird thing. It probably freaks people out, but I'm like, okay, give me your name again. I'm going to text myself your name. So I can pray for that person throughout the week, but try to remember names. We'd like to see 
a mentor, a mentoring program of counseling where there would be older couples or more mature seasoned couples that would say, yeah, I would like to take a, co- a, a young couple under my wing and I would like to mentor them, come alongside of them, counsel them, encourage them. We could also have a deeper walk with God. Believe it or not, that helps us in God speaking to us about what we should do. How about outside the church? Invite people to church. You realize that some people will come to church if we invite them. Pray for your neighbors faithfully around you. Practice sharing your gospel, the gospel with your spouse or go out to lunch with a coworker and share your story. And in both inside and outside the church, find ways to be generous because we have a generous God. As we close the message today, we're going to sing a song called I Surrender All. It's a hymn of the faith. You've heard it many, many times. The song was written by a guy named Judson Vanderventer, Vanderventer, probably German, Vanderventer, uh, in 1896. I'm slaughtering the name, so... But this is, this is a cool story. Judson was in the Methodist church and he was at a conference and he was really petitioning God, how can I have a greater kingdom impact? And this is what Judson wrote in his diary. For some time I have struggled between developing my talents in the field of arts and going into full-time evangelistic work. At last the pivotal hour came in my life. And I surrendered all. A new day was ushered into my life and I became an evangelist and discovered deep down in my soul a talent hitherunto unknown to me. God has hidden a song in my heart and touched a tender chord he has caused me to sing. And then he wrote out the song, I have surrendered all. I don't know where you're at. Or what you need to surrender. Maybe it's time. Maybe it is talents. Maybe it is treasure. But what I want this time to be is if you believe it. If, if you can stand and you can surrender. Not for show. Close your eyes. But open your hands and arms to him. And say every part of me. God take, my, take every aspect of me. I am all in. And allow this song to be a dedication song before him. God, I pray that you would use your word in a way that I could never even think is, a, is possible. I pray that there would be a holy fire within our body that we would say we are completely in for you. We want to use, utilize the resources that you have given us and we want to be faithful with all of our hearts. And so now, Lord, we just present ourselves to you And we pray that in Christ's name. Let's stand.